Take your Bible and go to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16, if you have your Bible. And Wednesday nights are going through just a series looking at the different seasons of life. We, we go through times of difficulties and trials and we go through seasons just like weather as season. We definitely experience a change in that weather uh, 24 hours or so ago and a little bit more than that and reminded us that that we are no longer in the summertime and, and seasons like that we go through in life. And if you want to listen to those others, if you've missed well, we're, we've, I think we've covered about five of those. You can go online and hear those. And tonight, I want us to look at another one. And uh, it, it's the season of waiting. The season of waiting. The thing that we have to do, that God teaches us to do, that we don't want to do. But there's benefits and blessing if we can learn about waiting. In Proverbs chapter 16, I'll let you remain seated. Notice in verse 32, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Here, this chapter is a contrasting chapter of better than. This is better than this. And here, this verse, he gives us a, a statement that having patience, that is the, the slow to anger, having patience and a controlled temper is honored. And he gives us the better than. is honored. It's a better situation than, than being a soldier. This statement may and it ought to be a little surprising in light of the fact that the land wherein uh, this time period was written, it depended upon might and skill and warfare. Yet the, the proverb is telling us that conquering oneself and having control and being able to wait and stay under control is of greater value than conquering a city. Now go over to chapter 19 and look at a, another verse. In chapter 19 and verse number 2, it says also that the soul be without knowledge. It is not good, and he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. And what he says here when he mentions the soul, also that the soul be without knowledge, it's the idea of inner drive, vitality, or zeal he's talking about. So it refers uh, here not so much to ecstatic exuberance as to ambitious drive. But ambitious drive without adequate knowledge, it can lead to making hasty blunders. And such haste may result in a person missing the way that God would have or making mistakes. The modern day Proverbs, uh, proverb would say, haste makes waste. And that's the emphasis here. And many tonight, maybe in this congregation, you're waiting on something. 
You're waiting on God maybe to answer a prayer or maybe this past week you've been waiting on someone else to do a certain thing or to respond in a certain way. All of us know what it's like to wait. And that's why the Bible has much to say about waiting or patience. For the season of waiting, we need patience. And God wants us to exercise patience to be able to wait. You know, our God, he's a waiting God. In other words, he announced he's going to give a gift. And it was thousands of years later before that gift came. But it came right on time. He said that his son would be crucified, buried, and resurrected. But he waited a few days. But he was right on time. He said when he left his disciples, he would return. It's been 2,000 years because God knows the right time. Some people use, I remember, I don't even know if this is anymore a thing, Brother Cherry, but those pop-up timers when cooking turkeys and we're coming up on the season where there's a need for that. Well, I don't know what you need for a turkey, but you just get the turkey ready and good. When When we got married, I, I didn't know that, that people actually made turkey Thanksgiving meals at home. And um, we, we were accustomed to going down to Golden Corral and Cracker Barrel for Thanksgiving. So our first uh, year of marriage, uh, we got married in June. Thanksgiving was going to be the holiday with my family, Christmas with Christie's family. And, and we met, my family, we met at a Golden Corral. And um, Christy dismissed herself, went to the restroom, didn't think anything about it because that's what women do. And, and, but she was in there drying her tears. She couldn't believe Thanksgiving at Golden Corral. And I said, well, it's because Cracker Barrel was full. And I think she <laughs> cried even more. And um, I didn't, I honestly, I, for a year, I just thought she was being such a wimp about it until I went the next year to her parents' house and boy, to see turkey and the, the every side that was made from scratch. Oh, it was incredible. And, and sweet potato souffle, not with nuts, not with raisins, but, but just nothing to defile it. But, but eating that... I realized I could have dessert and the main meal at the same time. Incredible. Incredible. And so we sat there and that that second Thanksgiving, I sat there at her parents' house and I cried because of that first one that she had to endure. It was amazing. But that apparatus is designed to be stuck way down inside that turkey. And as the turkey heats up the rising temperature, it registers with that thermometer. And when the turkey gets fully cooked, the outside of the thermometer pops up. The turkey's done. But it only works if it's stuck way down into the inner core of the turkey. Because if the turkey's not cooked, it's not ready to eat. No, then it's like eating at McDonald's. It's just just not done. But when the inner core is right, the external thing pops out, signaling it's time to eat. Many people are waiting for God to pop up and say, well, I'll give you the desires of your heart. But what we don't realize many times is that God's waiting for us to be fully cooked on the inside. 
he's waiting for us to be done. And that many times we've just not finished being cooked yet. For instance, when we wait on God, there are things you begin to see that you wouldn't see otherwise. You see the will of God for your life. Lamentations 3 verse 25. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him. When we learn to wait on God, we see his purposes in a very difficult situation. We can receive strength, supernatural enabling. Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. When you wait on the Lord, you can hear long-awaited answers to prayer. Psalm 40 and verse 1, the psalmist said, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. See, many times we set out to pray for something. But if we don't wait and we don't tarry in the presence of the Lord and continue to persevere in prayer, we give up praying when God was in the business of working that answer to give to us at the right time. When you learn to wait on the Lord, you see the hand of God working in our lives. Isaiah 64 and verse 4 says, What he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. We need all of those things to make it through this life, but especially through seasons of waiting. So the question we should answer tonight is really easy. It's easy to ask. It's harder to live. The question is, how should I wait on God? It's not whether should I wait, but how. How should I act when I find myself in God's waiting room? Listen, remember that when God puts you in the waiting room, that's not the wasting room. That's part of our thing, experiencing God. The Bible is chock full of verses telling us to be patient. And as we look at life, we see many instances where we are compelled to wait. And it's one of the most challenging things that we can learn to do. So I want us to look at tonight two things about the season of waiting, two things. Number one, I want us to see the occasions that will test our patience. And number two, I want us to note the opportunities that teach patience. So number one, the occasions that test our patience. Well, what are they? Let me just mention a few. Here's one. Interruptions. Interruptions. That'll test your patience. You know what it's like to be interrupted? No one likes to be, I should say it this way, no one likes interruptions, I think. I think I'm safe saying that. No one likes interruptions unless you're the one doing the interrupting. Yeah. When somebody else does it, you see it and it's a nuisance. But when you're doing it, you don't realize it because you think everybody needs to know what I have to say. Do you like to be interrupted? Probably not. When you're having a meal at home, have you ever gotten one of those calls? Somebody calling and you think it's got to be important or they wouldn't be calling me at this time. Only to find out when you answer it's that long pause. Yeah. And the phone rings and interrupts your meal. Have you ever been in the shower and the doorbell rings, the salesman coming or someone dropping off something just a little bit different time than what you imagined? And, and you know what it's like to be interrupted. 
If you've ever been on a deadline and you're very busy preparing something, finishing something, a report or presentation and getting ready and, and something unexpected happens, someone unexpected stops by. I mean, all of us know what it is to have interruptions in our life. Interruptions are occasions that will test our patience. I mean, when we are just interrupted at the most unusual time or unexpected time, it tests us. Bill Bright, who is the founder of, um, of uh, slips my mind, Dr. Childs, Bill Bright, Campus Crusade. Thank you, Dr. Childs and, and Captain Labine. <laughs> His daily prayer. This is very good. He prayed. Thy will be done, Lord, as I start this day. Take out of my day anyone you don't want me to meet. And help me not to be disappointed. And put into my path anyone you want me to meet. And help me not to be frustrated. Help me to relax, trusting that your will is being done. That's a great way to approach the day. Amen. It'll help us with interruptions. Let me read it again. Thy will be done, Lord, as I start this day. Take out of my day anyone you don't want me to meet and help me not to be disappointed. And put into my path anyone you want me to meet and help me not to be frustrated. Help me to relax, trusting that your will is being done. Interruptions. Here's another one. Inconveniences. Inconveniences are also occasions that will test our patience. A study showed that the number one gripe of Americans was being inconvenienced. In the Bible, Martha got mad. She got mad at Mary because Mary wouldn't come out and help with the dinner when Jesus came. But she discovered there was something more important. She discovered it was more important to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so many times in our life, we find ourselves inconvenienced. And so there are inconveniences and there are interruptions. Let me give you another one. Irritations. Irritations. There are irritations that test our patience. All kinds of irritations in life. Remember the story of Moses? How the people uh, became so... Uh, disgruntled and, and they griped and complained continually to him 24 hours a day and they blamed Moses for all of their problems and Moses became irritated. He became so irritated that he actually disobeyed God. And rather than speak to the rock, if you remember the story, he struck the rock. Now he struck the rock previously and because God told him to and he got water. But this time he struck the rock because he was irritated. Is that a big deal? Well, he never got to go into the promised land because of it. He got to see it afar off. Getting irritated and losing the blessings of God is a big deal. So there are interruptions. There's inconveniences. There are irritations. Somebody said we need to be like the oil like the oyster when we're irritated. An oyster takes an irritation, makes a pearl out of it, and we could learn to do that as well. And so today maybe we can learn 
what God has to say about these things, things that maybe get up underneath our skin, things that constantly we, we are getting frustrated with when dealing with people. The greatest irritations of life typically come because of people. That's why someone said, it's not the ministry that I have a problem with, it's the people, it's the people. And, and so, but there, there's, a, there's a concept there that God wants us to get victory over. I'll give you a fourth thing that will test our patience, and that is inactivity. Inactivity. Have you ever noticed when people wait for an elevator? You've got different kinds of people that wait for it. No one just stands there. Something's happening. You've got the people that are the rockers. They're just rocking back and forth, waiting for the elevator. Can't stand still. They just rock back and forth. Then you have the bouncers. They just kind of bounce around, bouncing on their tippy toes, waiting. And then you have the pushers. They're the ones who push the button multiple times, um, thinking it's a frogger game. The more they push it, the, the faster the elevator is going to get there. But nobody seems to just like to wait for an elevator. We don't like to be inactive. We don't like to wait. Today, because of the, the ease of a phone, people can, instead of productively waiting, we pull out a phone that will numb us through that. But we don't like to be inactive. Nobody likes to go to the doctor's office and wait. If anything, waiting at the doctor's office has made it easier to go through whatever the doctor has us go through because that's a whole lot easier than just waiting. Nobody wants to wait at a red light in traffic. I read the other day that we'll spend six months of our entire life waiting at red lights. And probably more than that, if you live in, the, in, in more of a metropolis area or you tend to, to, to drive more in that area. And so we, we just feel like we're wasting our time and we have to wait when those times of inactivity come to our life. Dr. A.T. Pearson once told of being alone in the study of the great man of faith, George Mueller. And George Mueller had uh, stepped out of the room. And so A.T. Pearson thought this would be a good time to flip through this great man of faith's Bible. And he opened it as he thumbed through. He came across Psalm 37, 23. It says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And opposite the margin Mueller wrote down, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, the verse says, and, and Mueller wrote these words down, and the stops too. Amen. In other words, God orders the steps of those who wait on him, but he also orders the stops. When to stop, when to slow down. Now, if you want to blow through God's red light, you can, but it may not be wise if God has you waiting right now for whatever reason, stop pacing. Sit down. Quit pressing the button out of your anxiousness and just relax and work on your faith through reading the scriptures and experiencing meeting God daily in constant prayer. So those are a few occasions that test our patience number two tonight. I want us to see the opportunities that teach us patience. We know many things test our patience. And, um, but what about the things that are as opportunities that also teach us patience? 
You know, the only way God could teach us to be like him, remember God is patient, is to let certain things happen in our life where we're forced to be inactive, interrupted, to be inconvenienced. And it's in that time of our life and we can do nothing else but wait that God teaches us some things and speaks to us regarding some things that we need to learn in our life. And so what are some things that we can learn that will teach us patience? Well, well, number one, note this. Look at the big picture. Whatever you're going through, cultivate an awareness in your heart and mind to think there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture than what I see. Everyone who was working last night, you were at a booth, you are at a, an inflatable, you are at a certain station, but didn't it look different when you saw the overhead view? And that was just at several hundred feet. Could you imagine looking at it from a divine view that has no beginning, no end? Who has the ability to work all things together for our good? Would you cultivate within yourself, if you want to learn to wait on God and experience the will of God, the hand of God, the answers that God has for us, then learn to recognize, ah, there's a bigger picture than what I can see. In Proverbs 19 and verse 11, it says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Now, all of us have our pet peeves. All of us do. Uh, it could be something as simple as those easy open cans. You, you've seen those that have the little flip thing on there, and you, and, you, and you go to open it up, and the little flip thing breaks off, and what was supposed to be easy is no longer easy. You've got to go back to the uh, can opener, which is that little flip was supposed to be so you didn't use a can opener, and, um, and, and, and something like that. Or a cereal box that won't reseal. And so the, the cereal gets stale, and you know, just something like that. Or, or your, your, your creamer, half and half, that expires on November 5th. It started smelling bad on October 31st. I, I mean, that, did, did that happen to anyone else but me? It just was, it, it, and so that, that is irritating. Uh, they're just pet peeves. Everyone's got them. I mean, it, getting bumped off a flight of an airline that you booked months in advance or people who slow down at green lights. Amen. What kind of time do they have to slow down at a green light? Yeah. And then I see their license plate and it really answers a lot for me. I won't go into that. But you know, when I'm thinking about a pet peeve, I usually see things from my perspective. I'm not looking at it from another person's perspective. You know, when I drive up to the fast food restaurant and the person on the other end of the speaker, they can't speak English, they can't understand English and and, and we're trying to communicate through this thing, and they haven't updated their speaker in 30 years, and, and it's just, and, I, and, and Christy knows, 
if people go to drive-through restaurants to use the drive-through, I don't go to drive-throughs. I go inside because I get so irritated at having to communicate with someone who's just ten feet away, and we can we can hear each other through the door, but we can't understand each other through the speaker. And then they're not going to get it right, so I might as well go ahead and go inside anyway because I'm going to have to go inside because they didn't put my whole order in there. I'm just talking about what other people say about this. That's all. But usually what I'm doing is just looking at it from my perspective. When you have to wait, you have to develop a larger perspective. You've got to see things from other people's point of view. Not that you know what their point of view might be, but just recognizing they have a point of view. We don't know what they've gone through. Everybody knows to be a successful employer, you have to be able to see from the employee's point of view. To be a successful business person, you have to be able to see from the customer's point of view. And how would you want to be treated uh, yourself as a good rule to practice? Let's treat somebody else that way. Somebody said years ago, be good to everybody because everybody's having a hard time. Listen, when you have to wait, begin to see things from a larger perspective. Get a bigger perspective on life. And, and what he was saying there in Proverbs is, in verse number, chapter 19, verse 11, that discretion of a man deferreth his anger. He's telling us that a man's wisdom is what gives patience. Where does this wisdom come from? Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. You know what wisdom is. Wisdom is seeing things from God's point of view. Now you can have knowledge, but only God can give you wisdom. That's why we have people in in institutions of higher learning. They have knowledge, great knowledge. Their IQ just goes off the chart, but they don't have wisdom many times. Wisdom is looking at everything from the point of view of heaven. And so it's very important. Discover a larger perspective. Let me give you a second thought that can help teach us in waiting on God. And that is develop a sense of humor. Develop a sense of humor. Proverbs chapter 15 and Verse number 30 says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. You know, a person's emotions can affect someone's physical condition. And that's well known today. People who don't even believe in God recognize the the impact upon one's body that comes as a result of their inner uh, balance. A heart at peace, it helps produce produce a healthy body. But envy and and agitation, it's going to cause a a, a heartache. It's going to cause an adverse effect upon their physical bones. And so we, we need to learn to develop a sense of humor. Take yourself Lightly, Take God serious, but take yourself lightly. In this passage of Proverbs 15, where the merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, verse 30. In verses 13 through 15, it refers to a happy heart, a discerning heart, and a cheerful heart. 
And he's telling us that an inner joy shows on a person's face. But inner grief, it depresses, it crushes a person's spirit. Now he's talking about having an attitude, again, that you don't take yourself too seriously. The Bible says that God has a sense of humor. It's using um, an anthropomorphic uh, uh, description of God in Psalm 2 and verse 4, meaning he's using a human description of, of, of God. It says, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Now it's just He's applying a human description to God. Yeah. Will Rogers, the great humorist from Oklahoma, said, I don't have to make up jokes. I just watch the government then report what they do. You know, it's good to develop a sense of humor. Listen, we need to develop a sense of humor with these irritations that come and when we're inconvenienced. If we don't, then we won't live nearly as long and we won't enjoy life as God wants us to enjoy. Christians, God's people, people who believe that there's a God who is God, who is King, who is the Lord of Lords, ought to be the happiest people. You say, well... There's nothing for me to laugh at. Well, just pull out your old wedding photos and just look through those. That'd be a good place to start. Here, here's another thought that could help us look at the big picture, develop a sense of humor. But deepen your love. Deepen your love. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4 says that charity or love suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. What does God say about love? It's patient. It's patient. And love thinks about the needs of others. What, what is the, an opposite characteristic of love? Selfishness. God so loved the world that he gave. Love thinks about the needs of others. You know, when you're filled with love for a person, it's almost impossible for them to irritate you. Have you ever, maybe growing up at home or in your house, maybe there's an animal, a pet. It's somebody's pet. Sometimes it's the whole family's pet. Other times it's somebody's pet. To the rest of the family, that pet is an irritation. But to the one who loves it, it can do no wrong. Unless it's a cat, and that's a whole other story. But Deepen your love for people. Deepen your love for your spouse, for your children, the people around you. Deepen your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church. It will help build patience. How? How can I deepen my love? And by the way, this kind of love is not something you just decide I'm going to do. How does my love deepen and become a real, not fake love, but a real love like God? Well, 1 John 4 says God is love. So how are you going to have God's kind of love? Experience God. Draw near to God. God will draw near to you. James 4 and verse 8. Here's another thought that will help build patience. Depend upon Christ's power. Depend upon his power. Choose to depend upon his power. You're going through a waiting season. 
Just say, I can't, but God can and depend upon him. Colossians 1 and verse 11, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Do you know patience comes from the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5 and verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and long-suffering. The word long-suffering is our idea of patience. It's that forbearance. It's that staying power even under provocation. It entertains no thoughts of retaliation even when wrongfully treated. Here's a, here's a last thought here. How can our Patience be built. Decide to walk by faith. Just decide to walk by faith. See, when you look at it from the big picture and you develop a sense of humor and you get close to God and develop the kind of love and deepen the love in your life and depend upon Christ's power, you determine to walk by faith. You're going to find that you can go through the season of waiting without flunking. You know, in God's school, he makes you retake the test. And you don't have to fail. You don't have to cut corners. You don't have to just reap what you've sown because you cut the corners. You're going to have a cut-off kind of life. You don't have to do that. You can go through the waiting period and you can trust God. Spurgeon said, Bible promises are checks drawn on heaven's bank that we endorse with faith and present to God for payment. C.S. Lewis said, faith is the art of holding on to things your reasons once accepted in spite of your changing moods. See, when everything we once easily believe suddenly seems improbable and illogical, it is this hanging on faith that holds us on course and keeps us anchored to the unfailing promises of God. Did you know that patience is a form of faith? See, that's why we, we know the verse 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. Steadfast and unmovable. Why? Because patience, steadfastness, unmovable is a form of faith. Because when we are impatient, it shows we don't trust God. When we are impatient and we can't wait on God, it says that we don't believe that God knows what is best. Now learn from some biblical examples. Noah. Noah preached for 120 years before the flood came. That took some patience. How? He walked with God. Abraham, he waited 90 years before the son of promise was given. Moses, Moses remained 40 years in the wilderness before he became the leader of God's people. 120 years, 90 years. 40 years, learn from Bible examples. See, patience is a sign of maturity. Little babies have no patience. They cry immediately when they have a need. But as they grow, they begin to learn that the need will be met and there are times that they'll have to wait. That's why parents have to teach them, you're going to wait. And as they grow, they begin to learn and they begin to, to show patience. And I want to tell you, patience is a mark of maturity for God's people. 
There are many examples in life of a, a church where we need patience. We need to wait on God. We need to be patient with one another. We need to be patient in our situations. We need to have endurance in our Christian life. That is walking by faith. You say, I can't see it. It doesn't make sense. That's why Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. You get on your side, God does his side just fine. Our side is trust and obey. God's side is, I'll do everything that God, that, that is under my realm of responsibility as God. And God does whatsoever he will, and he does it well. Walk by faith. When we're impatient, we show we're not walking by faith. Not only learn from Bible examples, but learn from God's example. I mentioned this earlier, 2 Peter 3.15, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. I want to tell you, God is a patient God. How I thank the Lord that he's patient with me. Have you ever thought what it would look like or what would happen if you were God? If I were God, a lot of people would be dead. If you were God, there'd be a lot of mistakes made. But God is a perfect God. God is a patient God. If you're here tonight, you're not certain of your salvation. Listen to me. Salvation is not religion. You do not get Bible salvation because you're a good person. You were born into this world, sinner, separated from Almighty God. You say, well, where did I get my sin from? From your nature. You were born with a sin nature and so was I. Where did we get that from? From your parents who were born that way, from their parents who were born that way, all the way going back to Adam and Eve. Romans 5 and verse 12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and so death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And you're here tonight, and there you've never settled the issue of salvation. You've assumed you were saved because you're a good person. You're not perfect because nobody's perfect, but you're not as bad as other people. You have thoughts about God. You're here on a Wednesday night in church when a lot of people are at a place of entertainment. They're at a bar somewhere. They're doing their own thing, but you're here at church. And so therefore, you've thought, well, this means I'm going to heaven. And Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter number three, one of the most religious men of that day, he looked at Nicodemus and he said, you must be born again. Why? Because nobody gets their sins forgiven. No one has eternal life because they've done good things, because they've done religious things. No church can wash your sins away. No water can wash your sins away. No amount of religious activity can wash your sins away. How can you have forgiveness of sins? How can you have eternal life? Well, just as if two people want to get married, it's not enough just to want to. It's not enough just to talk about it. 
If two people are gonna get married, there's a time that is set, there is a decision that is involved, and then there's a carrying through and acting on that transaction. There must be at least the transaction that is stated by law and by the word of God where these two, they covenant before God and man and they covenant with each other to become husband and wife. And just as that is a definite event, If I were to ask you, when were you married? Some of you, you men would have to think about it, but your wife could say, here's when we were married. If I asked you when your birth date was, you could tell me. And the truth is, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you're never gonna get to heaven until you have had a definite transaction regarding your soul. It's not enough just to want to go to heaven. It's not enough that you just talk about it. There must be a time in your life where you knew sin was your problem. Nobody goes to hell because of their being a poor person. No one misses heaven because they're not smart enough. No, the only thing that keeps a person out of heaven is called sin. And you hiding your sin, you covering your sin, and you determining what you want about your sin will never get us into heaven. No, in order to get into heaven, Matthew 5, 48, you've got to be perfect. Be therefore perfect, Jesus said, even as your father which is in heaven is perfect. Well, Romans 3.23 says all have sinned. That means nobody's perfect. And yet God says to get into heaven, you must be perfect. And however, he also says everybody is imperfect. Well, that's not encouraging until you find out that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The truth is, you and I, we cannot get to heaven our way. Jesus Christ is not a way. He is the way. And the only way you you will ever know forgiveness of sins, eternal life, a home in heaven, a place in the family of God, and God Almighty moving within your soul once and for all is to recognize sin is your problem. Hell is the consequence, but Jesus is the answer. And when you recognize Sin is the problem. Hell's the consequence. Jesus is the answer. I don't want my sin. I don't want to miss heaven. I want Jesus. Oh, many people, they will go to church. Many people will will call up help and they'll say, I need somebody to pray with me. I need God to help me. What do you need God to help you with? Well, I need him to help me with my finances. I need God to help me with my physical condition, my health, my body is experiencing the cancer that is robbing me of life. I need God to help me with my education. I need God to help me with my marriage. I want to tell you, God can do anything. Nothing is too hard for God. He can help you with your marriage. He can put your marriage back together. He can take care of your education. He can heal your body. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He can do the same for you. But listen, he 
didn't die on the cross just to put your marriage together. He didn't die on the cross just to take cancer away from your body. He didn't die on the cross to pay your light bill and your emergency bills. He died on the cross because the most important thing doesn't affect your body, but it affects your soul. And until you come to know Jesus as your personal savior and have forgiveness of sins and eternal life and Jesus being your personal Lord and Savior. Oh, he can heal your marriage, heal your body. What good is it if you gain the whole world and you still lose your own soul? What I'm saying is, if you're not sure of your eternal salvation, I'm not saying 90% sure. I'm not saying 90, I'm saying an absolute confidence, a Bible understanding as to how right now if you died or 10 years from now if you died, all of your sins are forgiven, you have eternal life. If you don't know, you're gambling with your soul. You're gambling with your soul. What I'm saying is God's been patient. He's been waiting for you. You're not here tonight because you just made a decision to come. You're here because God's looking for you. He's been waiting for you. He's merciful. But there will come a time when you will take your last breath. Your heart will stop ticking. You don't get a do-over in this life. And whatever you do with Jesus here, determines what he will do with you in eternity. You don't have to wait and see and hope. You can get it settled. Church family tonight, Christian, salvation is not the issue for you, perhaps. But you feel that you've stumbled and you've fallen. We've preached last week on the season of failure. I want you to know this. God's patient with you. He's there to help you. Strengthen you. Restore you. Forgive you. Help you. Why? Because he's a patient God. Many times we become impatient with our children. Sometimes we become impatient to the point we just give up. But I want you to know this. God doesn't give up on you. God doesn't give up. I want to say to somebody tonight maybe who needs to get up and start walking again the Christian life. You need to start walking by faith again. You need to start serving God again. God is patient with you. And if you want to experience the reality of God, you've got to learn patience. You've got to learn from the opportunities that test your patience. And you've got to learn from the opportunities that will teach you patience. We have a tendency to fear the worst. Especially when we have to wait. When you find yourself in God's waiting room, don't panic. Don't fear the worst. I know how it is. We, we, we just love to be in control. It just comes natural for some of us. It comes from the flesh, but it comes natural. But when God has us waiting for an answer to prayer or someone's healing or a new job for, or a new direction or deliverance or some other kind of spiritual breakthrough, we tend to get a little worked up when the waiting gets too long. Let me close with this. In 1939, the British 
government produced a motivational poster in preparation for the Second World War. This poster was intended to raise the morale of the British public, threatened with widely predicted mass air attacks on cities. There were almost two and a half million posters printed to plaster all over the country, but the posters were never publicly displayed. The blitz never happened. In fact, little was known about this poster until a copy was rediscovered in the year 2000. It has since been reissued by a number of private companies and has been the decorative theme for a wide range of products, t-shirts and coffee cups and what have you. Has it registered what I'm talking about yet? It's the phrase, keep calm and carry on. 1939, it was invented, that phrase, intended to use to help the morale of the British people. God's given us a book. God's given us His promises. He's given us His presence to never leave us nor forsake us so that we could keep calm and carry on. Let's stand together, please.